In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Anybody who has looked at the numbers or just tried to find a new place to live can tell you how screwed we are. And if they have a platform, they'll do exactly that. The media will do it because it's arguably the biggest story in the country. The politicians not in power will do it because it's a great way to hammer the ones who are. And the ones in power will still do it too, if only to convince you that their next policy decision might fix it. But even though Canada's housing crisis is in what, year five? More than that? There aren't a lot of solutions comprehensive enough to actually get us to where we need to be. A new report released last week, however, takes aim specifically at the rental aspect of the crisis. And it draws a complete picture from the top of the political food chain to neighborhood-level buy-in and the industry-wide support needed to finally start closing the gap with urgency. It's all there. So will our leaders really dig in, from top to bottom, from right to left? Or is this another opportunity that we're going to miss because our governments just can't get on the same page, even with the future of the country at stake? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Mike Moffat is an assistant professor in business, economics, and public policy at the Ivy Business School at Western University. He's the senior director of policy at the University of Ottawa's Smart Prosperity Institute. And he is the co-author of a new report that looks at a multi-sector approach to Canada's housing crisis. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. You are very welcome. We talk a lot about the housing crisis on this show. Solutions are rarer to come by. It does seem that way. Yeah, that uh, the number of pieces saying that we're in a crisis and the number of pieces telling us how to get out of that crisis. So there's a pretty big disconnect between the two. Well, that's why I was so interested to uh, read some of this report. And before we get right into that, I just want to have you as as one of the, the leaders on this crisis in Canada, kind of give me your thoughts on just how dire is the situation right now? Like how many homes are we missing across the country? Well, the CMHC says that we need to build 5.8 million homes uh, between now and 2030. And that's essentially tripling home building. And at the sort of business as usual pace, we're going to fall about 3.5 million short. So we have a massive uh, housing crisis that's playing out a number of ways. So you have 
homeowners seeing their payments rise because of rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. Rents have skyrocketed across the country due to uh, increases in population and just supply and demand imbalances. And then we see a homelessness crisis. Right. You know, we see uh, food bank use triple and, you know, all of these negative social indicators. So across the board, it is absolutely a crisis. You mentioned kind of the business as usual rate. This summer or recent times, I guess, have seen uh, at least a few governments make commitments to increase the amount of housing, um, sometimes controversially, given Ontario. But are we even keeping pace with that demand that you laid out? Or are we you know, currently falling further and further behind? Are we eating into the gap at all? No, unfortunately, we're, we're falling further and further behind that uh, housing starts. So that's basically how many housing units uh, between you know single detached homes and apartments and, and everything else. It's down about 10% year over year from last year. That's largely a function of, of higher interest rates, making uh, construction more expensive. Hmm. And this is at a time when our, our population continues to grow, that uh, we're seeing increased population in international students, uh, immigration targets are up and that kind of thing. So we're moving in opposite directions where home building is is actually down, but our population continues to grow. So you're a co-author, as I mentioned, of this report. Um, it's a report that comes at a solution, I guess, from a few different points of view, given, given you and your co-authors. What are those points of view and why approach the challenge this way? So our, our report specifically looks at the rental market. It's not the only challenge that, that we have, and, and these markets interact with each other, that a, a broken rental market will affect the ownership market. Right. And, you know, a year ago or so when I had these conversations, I, I used to kind of joke that, well, you know what needs to happen is we just need to lock a bunch of really smart people in a room and not let them out till till they come up with a solution. And after a while, we decided, well, hey, why don't we be those people? So what we did is my team at uh, SPI uh, got together with the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness and RealPAC. And RealPAC is a group of investors and, and financiers and, and people who own and operate uh, apartment buildings. We got together and then we got a number of smart people in, in academia, in the, the social sector and, uh, and the housing sector on the sort of building and development and ownership side. And just all got together. And obviously, we come from different perspectives. I mean, when you have groups that are landlords and groups that represent tenants in the same room, they're not always going to agree with each other. But what we did is basically just said, okay, well, what are the things we can agree on? What are the things that we all see as being part of the solution? And we were we were pleasantly surprised to see how much agreement there was between the different groups. So we don't always agree on everything, but there is a lot that we, we do agree on. The housing crisis and, I guess, importantly, the building of new housing, including rentals, is a really political issue. And we've certainly seen that play out uh, over the past several months in terms of conservative leader Pierre Polyev's criticism of the federal government's role. But is this a federal government responsibility, a provincial responsibility? Who needs to take the blame for this and or who tends to take the blame for this and who should be taking the blame? Well, it's a classic Canadian problem of overlapping jurisdictions where you, you have the municipalities who are in charge of, of things like zoning and the approvals process and, and that kind of thing, which is a big bottleneck to, to building. The provincial governments control that as well because municipalities are crucial to the province. 
Plus, they have their own processes like the Ontario Land Tribunal. But there's a lot that the federal government uh, controls as, as far as uh, the housing system goes, where they you know, control large parts of the tax system. They have their own approvals process through the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Obviously, they play a big role on the demand side of housing as, as the group that sets immigration targets. So all of them have a role. And then on top of that, you know, higher education sector plays a role. Builders and developers play a role. The social sector plays a role through owning and operating, you know, various forms of non-market housing. So that's what makes this such a, a challenge is it's easy for one group to point a finger at another and have a, a layer of truth to it. So we say in the report, you know, we have sort of six big things, areas that need improvement. The number one is coordination, that all of these policies are disconnected from each other that the province doesn't always work well with the federal government or municipalities. And even within the same order of government, uh, you know, you might have one department doing something that is at odds with what another department is doing. So it's just a big, big coordination problem at the heart of this. Leaving coordination aside, because for the moment, at least, that's something that we seem to struggle with in basically every major policy issue in this country. But where do you start, assuming you can get some of that buy-in from various levels of government? You know, I know there's not one silver bullet here. So where are the first easy wins that we could take right now if we were actually motivated to get moving? I, I think the immediate things that we could do, particularly the federal government uh, could do, first of all, is just change the the tax system. That We have a lot of projects that could be viable but they're not right now for a variety of, variety of reasons. And again, that's caused in part by those higher interest rates that have caused the slowdown. So what could the federal government do about it? Well, first of all, it could offer for projects with large number of affordable units, it could offer discounted financing. It could offer lower interest rates. It could also tweak the tax system. It could remove the HST on purpose-built rental construction. It could reintroduce the tax credits we had back in the 1960s to build apartment buildings. It worked really well back then. That was another time when we had a housing crisis because of a disconnect between population growth and housing supply. It worked back then. It worked now. So those are all things we could do. One other thing that the federal government could do is there are thousands of apartment building applications stuck at the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation in a variety of different programs, one of them being MLI Select, which is a program for, for building insurance. We saw when there was an applications backlog for passports, the federal government staff up that department and clear that backlog. They could do the same thing here. Um, and those are thousands of great apartment building projects, which could get started all across Canada, but they just need to to move through this process. So those are immediate things that that would help us get some new buildings today. What about aspects of the lack of rental units that are under provincial or municipal control? You know, where can those be adjusted to simply allow more units to be created, maybe as part of bigger projects or as rental buildings themselves? Yeah, there's a lot that the province and the federal government can do there. So uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Tyler Meredith, along with Alan Broadbent, have an interesting idea of a acquisition fund. And how it would work is that the federal government or the province 
could acquire apartment buildings or like either new buildings, existing buildings, or even just units in existing buildings and purchase them and then lease them out to social agencies to run like the, the United Way or community foundations or so on. And it could be structured in such a way that it actually doesn't increase the deficit significantly because what happens is, you know, we're going to get into some weird accounting things here, but essentially what happens is, yes, these things need to be financed, but because the government retains ownership of the building or the units, they have both an offsetting asset and liability. So their their financial position doesn't change any. There's just, you know, you have things on both sides of the balance sheet. Right. So there are creative things that either the federal government or province could do to not only get more affordable units, but also keep the affordable units that they already have. Then many of them are going onto the market and then getting rented out at much higher rates. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. At the municipal level, does any of the preceding stuff you mentioned work without zoning changes or bylaw changes to actually allow this stuff to get built? And, and that's a big part of the challenge. And this is where the coordination thing comes in, because I'll talk to people in the federal government about, let's say, removing the HST on purpose-built rental. And they'll say, Mike, that's really not going to get more buildings built because they're just there's not the zoning for it. And then I'll talk to municipalities about changing zoning and they'll say, well, we could change all the zoning we want, but those projects aren't financially viable because of things like the HST. Hmm. Right. So you've got this kind of chicken and egg problem. And it's why we have to move both of those together. So absolutely, uh, we need to see uh, those municipal reforms. A lot of those could come from the province. The province had their housing affordability task force that had a report back in February of 2022 that made 55 recommendations, and many of them are wit- around this idea that the province can set minimum standards when it comes to when it comes to zoning and the approvals process, and they can apply that across the board in, in Ontario. Huh. So, absolutely, we need to have those changes. And there's two ways about them: that that either the municipalities themselves can make those changes, and we've seen that in the city of Toronto. Or the provincial government could just make the change and apply it to whichever city or all cities that they wanted to. What about the public? What role do they have to play in this? And I ask this not because, you know, they have a direct influence on these policy decisions, but because we've seen uh, so many projects get held up once it gets to the process for public input and and you end up with NIMBYs and you end up with people, you know, refusing to allow more than four or five new rental places in a building. And, and that, that certainly plays a role. And naturally, I would like to see the public on board with, with many of these projects. But I also think there are ways to structure these things so they're a little less zero sum. So, for instance, in many neighborhoods across Canada and across Ontario, You have uh, a lot of people who are in their 70s and 80s. 
who, you know, live in a large single detached four or five bedroom home. Mm -hmm. And they would love to be able to downsize that, but they also want to stay in the neighborhood and there's, there's nothing to downsize to. So what if we looked for those neighborhoods and said, okay, let's, let's find some creative ways to build more seniors friendly housing in those existing neighborhoods. I think that would go a long way because first of all, then the existing residents would actually get something out of those new builds. Right. It's going to make them a little less likely to be NIMBYs because there's something in it for them. But it would also help uh, first-time home buyers because what would happen is those seniors would sell their existing properties, move into these new ones, freeing up uh, those homes for the next generation of families. So I, I think it's important for governments as much as possible to look for these win-win solutions because if it ends up being zero-sum, then you pit new development against existing residents. It just ends up being hostile. And obviously, you know, many of the time, the existing residents essentially win and are able to block those projects. As I mentioned off the top, um, usually discussions around the housing crisis are not filled with a lot of solutions. I'm curious about the reaction to this report, which came out about a week ago. First of all, just in general from the media, the public, et cetera, what's, what's the feedback been like? The feedback has been phenomenal. We've had uh, dozens of media stories uh, about this, so that's been helpful. We've got some nice notes from the general public. And I, I find, you know, what's particularly heartening to me is that it's received support uh, from across the board that you, you see builders and developers who like many of the provisions in here. But you're also hearing from social advocates and others going, yeah, this is this is what we need. I mean, the, the report has a big emphasis on the need to build more deeply affordable and, and social housing. So it's been fantastic. There has been, you know, the occasional criticism of it. And, and some of them are actually good ideas. Some occasionally we hear something that, you know, someone says, why doesn't it say this, this or that? And I'll think, oh, actually, it probably should. Give me an example of one of those if you can. Absolutely. Well, well, something like the the, the seniors housing example that, that I, I just mentioned, we don't really have anything in there. Like what, what would be a policy to build more seniors friendly housing in, in existing neighborhoods? We don't have anything that focuses in on that. We probably should. Another area is that because it's so federally focused, it's a little bit light on how to drive those uh, municipal zoning changes. You know, we could have put more emphasis there. And I think those are those are fine points. And what I'm hoping comes out of this is, is other groups build off of it, say, you know what, we, we like this report as a basis, but we want to go further. We want to, you know, have a set of policy recommendations for the province, or we think you should have added these two things. So we'll we'll have our own. And I think that that would be fantastic. So overall, I we're really pleased with, with how it went. We think this is resonating and it's resonating across the spectrum that I think, you know, looking federally, there are things here that the government would like, but there's a lot of things that the conservatives and new Democrats would like as well. So I'm hoping for kind of a race to the top where the different parties can start saying, you know what? Yeah, I think we should do these things and incorporating them into their platforms. I know you have discussions with policymakers, so I'll ask for their reaction to this. Have they engaged with it seriously? Do they want to learn more? Uh, coordination such a huge part of this. Are they ready for it? 
I think they are. Uh, so we've had conversations with, with all of the parties, including government. I've had conversations with a number of municipalities as well. Uh, a couple of my co-authors have, have talked to provinces. So they, they are on board. One of my co-authors, Tim Richter, and I will be presenting the findings at the federal cabinet retreat. So, you know, clearly there are at least some interest of the, of the federal government. I don't think they would invite us out if they weren't at least taking this somewhat seriously. I think the challenge is trying to figure out you know, how to get them to adopt these ideas, how to make them politically palatable. And then I think even more importantly is if they do adopt them, you know, how to how to actually design them and how to actually implement them so they can get moving quickly. Before you go, I want to talk to you about the speed we're after here. And I say that because a separate piece from this report that you wrote for The Walrus, I believe you called for a wartime effort on this. Can you explain a little bit about, you know, what that might actually look like on the ground? Yeah, and I think that speed piece is important because because it is a crisis. So, for example, one of the things that we're going to need to build more homes is more infrastructure at the municipal level. And municipalities have money, but they, they need additional money. They just they don't have the budget to build all the the sewers and, and roads and green infrastructure. We need to build five point eight million homes. They're going to need more money from either the federal or provincial government. And one of my concerns is that if that happens, that whatever level of government is, we'll start micromanaging the process that will say, OK, we'll give you money, but you have to fill out the 78 page report right. and, you know, we'll get back to you in nine to 12 months. That would be a giant mistake. I think what we need to do is, you know, the the federal or provincial government set up, sets up an infrastructure program sets up some criteria and says, okay, as long as your project meets this criteria, it's approved. You know, you know your city best. We're not going to try and micromanage this process. Just follow these guidelines. We can audit you afterwards, but let's just make this happen. So it's that kind of change of thinking. And my biggest concern with all of this is that either the federal government or provincial government starts micromanaging this process and everything just gets buried in red tape. I hate to end it on a down note, but because we're discussing urgency and because, as you mentioned earlier, we're falling further behind the pace and not making up ground, I think almost anybody involved in the housing market right now would tell you how how bad it is. What happens if we don't manage to pick up the pace uh, and create new housing? Like, how far can this go and what does that country look like if we can't do this? What I get concerned with is that it's just basically, you know, what we've seen over the last five to 10 years, but more so. And I actually think there's uh, places in the world we can look at. My big concern is that Canadian cities start looking a lot like San Francisco, mm-hmm. where you have more homelessness, more tent cities, but you also have things like elementary schools having to provide housing for teachers because teachers, you know, the middle class can't afford to live there. And that is one of the big challenges we're going to have, particularly in Toronto and the the GTA and greater Vancouver area, is that simply that the middle class will get completely priced out, which is not just bad for them, but is bad for anybody living in that city who needs a, a, a teacher or nurse or electrician or what have you. And they find that they can't. Yeah, they just can't find them. And again, we've seen that the parts of the United States are a little bit ahead of us on that. And I think that should be a warning signal to us is like, this is what the future looks like if we can't get our act together. Mike, thank you so much for this. And uh, it will be really interesting to see how it goes in PEI when you put this in front of the cabinet. 
Well, thank you for having me. Mike Moffat of the Ivy Business School at Western University and Senior Director of Policy at the University of Ottawa's Smart Prosperity Institute. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca and yes, we do tell you a lot more about the housing crisis on there. You can find those episodes and listen to them. In fact, you can search for Mike's name and find his previous appearance on this show if you want to hear more. You can find us Anytime you want to give us feedback, we are on social media, specifically Twitter, at TheBigStoryFPN. We read every email you send us, even if we can't reply to all of them. You can send those to hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. We listen to every voicemail, too. If you leave us a number, we might call you back and ask you if we can use your clip. The Big Story is available in every single podcast player and on every single smart speaker if you ask it to play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.